You've watched the Michigan games. I'm sure you have been somewhat underwhelmed watching the Wolverines going out there and just very basically manhandling everybody having the game over by mid third quarter, but let's get an expert analysis of what is actually going on. We're going to welcome back on Trevor Sikama from PFF on this episode of locked on Wolverines. You are locked on Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the locked on podcast network. Happy Wednesday. We are back and doing it. Locked on Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. I am your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire through USA Today Sports Media Group. And over there, and I got the pointing right this time on camera with the reverse and all of that. Got Trevor Sikama from PFF rejoining the show. Trevor, thanks for coming back on, man. Yeah, of course, Isaiah. Anytime, my friend. So first off, and we were talking a little bit off off air, we'll get to kind of where Michigan is, but like actually let's just do it now. Uh, I'm bored. I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> other people out there who are a little bored, right? Like I think it was like week one, JJ McCarthy throws for 280 yards, week two, 278. I think the least boring thing that happened was the weird week three. But when you look at what Michigan is, I mean, it's been boring. They haven't played anybody. They haven't been going out there and winning 66 to three, but what are, what are you seeing from this Michigan team? What's your 30,000 foot view at the moment? This is one of the best teams in college football that is playing one of the easiest schedules. It feels like in college football. So it's kind of going according to plan, right? I had Michigan as a national champion before the season. I said that this team was going to get it done because you know, you look later in the year, they've got Penn state and they'll, they'll play him tough, but then everybody's kind of waiting for that Ohio state game as well. But I think that they've got the upper hand on Ohio State this year, too. So very similarly to the last couple of years, I think Michigan's going to be represented in the Big Ten championship game, and I think they're going to take that. That's going to basically be an automatic qualifier for them to get into the college football playoff. And then it sounds really insulting to say that, like, then that's when the season really begins for them. But that's the expectation, and I think that's extremely high expectations, maybe unrealistic expectations. but to kind of how you open the podcast, like, Hey, we're bored over here. That's kind of the way that everybody's thinking about it, which uh, must be nice to be bored with winning as a Florida Gator fan uh, here on this show saying that um, would give anything for it. My my uncle's a Florida Gator fan, so I can empathize. Okay. All right. Well, Hey, I just hope Napier's got us going in the right direction. So that's, that's all I'm hoping for at this point. No, but when you look at Michigan, I think sure they're not blowing these teams out like 50, 60 to nothing, but it also doesn't feel as though that was going to be Michigan's identity anyways. I think if you went into this season and especially through this easier part of the schedule, you said to yourself, look, if they score more than 30 points a game and if they hold the other teams to less than 10 points, like single digits, you'd be happy. That's exactly what's happened in all three games. You know, they're not really, they're not really set up to spread it out air raided on you we're scoring 60 points like i'm sure michigan fans think about some of the ohio state teams of the past and when ohio state has been in a similar position to michigan they have had those weeks where it's just 55 62 like whatever it is points per game but they've i think those teams that you're maybe envisioning for the buckeyes were built different than michigan's are now i'm not saying that that makes them better or michigan worse it's just their styles and so this is always going to be a team that 
they're going to have their identity on the ground and behind that offensive line. And I think that you're seeing that sure Corum and, and um, Donovan Edwards haven't exploded yet, but I think that there's a long season. You just want those guys healthy at the end. I think the most important thing is honestly that JJ McCarthy looks more confident, especially when it comes to dealing with pressure. And outside of that third game, uh, I think that he has been what you have wanted to see from him. So it's boring because it's exactly what not just we thought we'd see from Michigan, but maybe what we hoped we would see from Michigan is people who are rooting for them to make it to that national championship. Now you mentioned JJ McCarthy. I think there's been a lot of consternation even after this last game. He didn't throw for a million yards in week four against Rutgers either. Uh, they leaned a little bit more on a balanced attack, a run game. They certainly ran the ball a heck of a lot more in week four. Uh, but what, uh, how how concerning was that week three performance as compared to weeks one and two, or, or maybe even week four? Where do you feel like he's at having watched him so far? I wouldn't even say the word concerning really for week three. Obviously, you don't want to see it. You want to see the quarterback play better. But those first two games from him impressed me so much, especially when it came to that play under pressure, because as you know, I had my scouting hat on this past summer. J.J. McCarthy, now draft eligible for the first time. A lot of people really excited about him. Some people already had him as a first-round target. I was not there yet, I'm be honest. You know, when I was watching him back in June and July, I said, man, this is a guy who clearly has great arm talent. He is somebody who can push the ball down the field, and, and some of his best throws, even last year, looked fantastic. But he seemed more of a thrower and less of a quarterback when I watched him last year, you know, adjusting to pressure as it was coming to him, identifying things pre-snap and post-snap, that internal clock in the back of his head of when to get rid of the ball, when to scramble, when to bail from a clean pocket, or when to step up and stay in between the tackles. He just did not have that feel for the game last year. This year he does. So I'm looking at it completely differently because People can look at stats and, you know, of course, the turnover-worthy plays and the interceptions, you want to keep those down. But the most important evaluation of J.J. McCarthy is honestly those plays that might be routine, that people just go, oh, yeah, see, that was a nice 12-yard completion. But it was him hanging tough in the pocket for an extra second, avoiding pressure, but keeping his eye downfield, staying on platform, ready to throw at all times. Those are the little things that you notice and that you like to see the progress from him so certainly that week three game you don't want to see things like that because it's not just one or two turnover worthy plays I think it might have been three and I can't remember if he had a fourth one in there as well but you know he came up after the game and he talked about hey we got to clean it up I got to make sure that I'm not doing those things and it honestly feels a little preseason ish right now for them where it's almost like hey let me take my chances figure out what I can and can't do then when we get to the second half of the season and uh, into the postseason, you're ready to go. You've got full uh, full understanding of what you can do. And I mean, that's not to mention that JJ in the first three weeks only played three and a half quarters, not even three and a half, sorry, two and a half quarters th- thus far, right? Like those numbers that he had that were good could have been a heck of a lot better. That said, the numbers <laughs> in week three could have been a lot worse after he threw his last interception. It was kind of like, all right. Thanks for coming, JJ. Why don't you go ahead and get home safe? Uh, but uh, certainly that that's uh, the offense maybe hasn't as impressed people in general as much. You mentioned the running backs. Uh, I, I'm going to throw the concern word out there. I think it's a little less concerning because we saw Blake Corum kind of being Blake Corum this last week, uh, really kind of looking vintage. Donovan Edwards still kind of taking some time to get going. That said, their stats are pretty identical. 
uh, through four games to what they were four games through four games last year. So it isn't necessarily a complete departure from what they were. But what are you seeing from that, from the offensive line and the run game? Uh, there's a lot of concern amongst Michigan fans about the offensive line. Michigan is per, it, itself is pretty confident, at least in what they say to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're like, oh, we're right where we want to be. But what do you see from from that that uh, the the battery of the offensive line and the yeah? So I would just say from the run game overall, because I haven't I haven't particularly taken a deep dive into the offensive line and like position by position, but I've taken a peek at, at Corum and Edwards, certainly uh, a little bit of their film and also some of their statistics that we have over at PFF that we like to track. And yeah, yards, touchdowns, things like that are are great, but there's a stat that we have that I love a lot and it's missed tackles forced per attempt. And that is a way to quantify how well a running back might be playing independent of their offensive line. And that's something that I really liked from both Quorum and Edwards, who were top 50 players for me in my preseason big board, because not only was Michigan's offensive line opening up some great running lanes for them, and we were able to see a ton of great production overall from them last year, both of their missed tackles forced per attempt were much higher last year than what they are this year. So I think that feeling of it's not what it can be for those guys comes down to that. We haven't seen those crazy plays where Quorum erases an ankle or he 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 shakes a defender right in the open field and makes a guy miss. Like we haven't had as many of those as we have over the last two years with Quorum and over the last year with Edwards. Edwards was somebody who led the country in, I believe, 50 and 60 yard runs last year. If he didn't lead the country, he was certainly top three in both of those categories. So he had a lot of home run plays that you could point to. And I think some of those happened to the mid slash late point in the season. So there's certainly time for him to rack up more of those with the great athletic ability that he has. But when I look at the run game, I think why it is as quiet as it is comes down to those statistics, you know, just to give people an idea of kind of where these guys are in relation to other backs in the country. When we are looking at guys that can be considered top 50 picks, you really want to see that missed tackles force per attempt somewhere around 0.3, right? So, okay, the, you know, every, every three carries, you are making somebody miss independent of everything else that's going on. And when you have that kind of an average 0.3, that's a good benchmark. Guys like Bijan Robinson, um, Trevor, uh, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, they had some of the highest numbers that we've ever recorded, and that was right around like 0.45. So that's about as high as it gets. If you're around 0.3, that's really nice. Quorum and Edwards, I think we're both in that category. Quorum's was even higher last year. Both of them right now below 0.15. So they're not even at 0.2 in that category. So it's just there aren't those flash plays of those guys being independent of the of the big boys up front right now. Not to say that can't happen, but I think to me, that's why it might be a little lackluster right now from those players that we know have been big higher light real guys before. All right, before everyone jumps off of a cliff uh, with that with that news, um, <laughs> we're going to move on to the defense. So we're going to do that here in just one moment. Before we do that, uh, listen. Uh, they they gave me something here in which uh, I can I can tell you a little bit about something called DoorDash. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read what they would want me to say because I am the foremost DoorDash consumer in the general population. 
I DoorDash everything, whether I need I, the stores and restaurants are right around the corner. I'm DoorDash and stuff that is literally in walking distance from my house. I could walk over there and pick it up. But I love the convenience of DoorDash. I pay a small monthly fee and I don't have any delivery fees. And therefore, it, it what's the difference? I tip someone $3 and I don't have to move from my couch or my office or my bed, depending on the time of day. I DoorDash dog food. I DoorDash pizza. I DoorDash anything that I can get. It is so easy to use. Uh, so I highly, highly, highly recommend it because it is that cool of a product. Uh, so that's what's as personal of an endorsement as I can have. It, it's It's literally something I use just about every single day. So get 50% off of your first DoorDash order up to $20 value when you use the code LOCKDOWNCOLLEGE at checkout. Limited time offer, terms apply. That's 50% off of up to $20. No minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you do download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKDOWNCOLLEGE. Don't forget that's code LOCKDOWNCOLLEGE for 50% off of your first order with DoorDash. All right, we are still here with Tampa Bay Trey. Find him on X slash Twitter, whatever you want to call it these days. Uh, Trevor Sikama from PFF. Uh, so let's talk about the defense, because I think one of the interesting things that isn't getting talked about enough, right? Like, I know Michigan hasn't exactly played anybody, but the most any team has done is seven points. And we've seen that twice, once in meaningful action, with, which was Rutgers on their first possession. The other time being uh, in uh, week two. UNLV scored a touchdown in garbage time with against Michigan's backups to the backups. Uh, otherwise, it's been three points week one, six points in meaningful time by uh, Bowling Green in week two, uh, week three. Well, how do you quantify this defense? I mean, obviously they they haven't gone up against a Ohio State level offense type of attack or anything like that. They haven't faced Michael Penix Jr. or anything like that. But how do you quantify what this defense is doing so far through four weeks? Well, it's extremely impressive, especially knowing that uh, Will Johnson and Rob Moore are coming back from injury, right? Those are two guys who they were really looking forward to seeing in their secondary, and they haven't even been out there. So Moore is one of my favorite players in this class. I think he's just an extremely solid football player. I think I had him top 60 or 70 at the very least uh, going into the season when it came to my 2024 big board host. So he's somebody that I'm excited to see now that he's back out there. Um, I'm excited to see him kind of get it going, but just overall, it feels like they've got playmakers at every level, right? I, they've got um, Chris Jenkins playing along the defensive line, who is once again, just an absolute unit when it comes to run defense. He's about as stout as it comes. Um, so he has been great. I've loved what I've seen from Jalen Harrell, you know, a little bit lighter of a pass rusher, but his, I just looked this up before we were recording. He's got a 25.0 pass rush win percentage this year, which is leaps and bounds better than it has been over the last couple of seasons. He had an 11.1 in 2021 where he saw very limited action. And then last year when he got over 200 pass rush snaps, it was still right around 11%. So more than doubling how often he wins off the edge. I think that's been a great um, addition to their defensive line, along with Jenkins, who a lot of people already knew going into the season, junior Colson, obviously rock solid, I think in the middle, um, one of the top linebackers that we have in the potential 2024 class. So it's just a group that especially when you get Johnson and uh, when you get Rob Moore back, I know they got Samer still as, as well, who's great in the slot. And it's like, they just have playmakers everywhere. It, it, there's not a lot of areas where 
teams, especially in the early part of their schedule, can say, all right, we're going to attack this part of Michigan. There's just not really a lot of areas where they can do that, and I think that's why you see such a suffocatingly low points per game average when it comes to the teams that have been playing up against them. How do you feel like it compares to maybe, like you just mentioned Jalen Harold year over year playing so much better. I mean, we'll, we'll see more against uh, Nebraska, who from a statistical standpoint enters with the number two uh, rushing offense. Uh, so certainly that's going to be a challenge. The option uh, Heinrich Harbor, which is the, I don't want to say it's the most Nebraska name, but it's certainly the most like I play for German football that I've ever heard. But uh, nonetheless, it, it it's, we haven't necessarily seen them, but like how confident are you uh, at this point of where Michigan stands? Maybe, especially compared to what we saw in 2021, 2022, which were obviously some really good defenses. Yeah, I mean, with Harold breaking out, I mean, I think that that's really important because as, as much as I like Chris Jenkins in the middle, he's still becoming a great pass rusher. So it's not like you could have leaned on him to say, yeah, he's going to be a game wrecker for you in the middle, like, you know, a Quinn and Williams or like, you know, somebody like that who could just take over a game as a pass rusher, as an interior off defensive line player. So you knew that you were going to get rock solid play for him, but how much of collapse in the pocket were you going to get? Harold really stepping up and doubling his pass rush productivity. It's huge. It's, it's massive for them. And that was one of the areas where I looked at this team and I was like, okay, really like their secondary. Obviously, I like Colson in the middle. I like the athleticism that they have in the apex with Sam Stowe as well. It's just, do they have the dogs on the defensive line to really be able to get after the quarterback, especially when they start playing those better teams? And Harrell really helps that. So, you know, it's not the star-studded, I think, defensive line, you know, like what they have with Mozzie Smith and what they have with Aiden Hutchinson and guys like that who you could really point to even before the season to say, wow, we've got some crazy athletes who can really get after the passer it's a little bit different than it was then but i still think that it's pretty dang solid especially when you throw harold's production into the mix all right last one for you and we'll, we'll let's get into some hyperbole here we 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 like you said we kind of got what we expected from michigan thus far in the first four games you you're on the record of you still think that they are at least at the very least going to win the big 10 they are your national champion pick how do you see at least the next month going? Do you think it's going to be more of the same? Do you think that we see a different Michigan team as we go forward? Uh, do, do you think that it's going to be like kind of middle of 2021 or even part, you know, well, not really parts of 2022. They just kind of blew everybody out. But 2021, certainly like in the middle of the year, no one was really saying, yeah, but they're going to win the big 10. But how how do you think that this next month is going to go for Michigan? Or is it going to be, tight wins could they slip up somewhere is it uh, a situation where they're just going to do the same thing that they've done are they going to be even more impressive just put on your your prediction cap and kind of give me your expectations there yeah so you mentioned you know i i think the average points that they're giving up right now is around like five or six you know it'll probably go up certainly it might come around like 10 you know you might get teams that'll score a couple of touchdowns get an get actually get into the double digits against them but they should be able to handle all of these teams over the next month. They really should. They should be 8-0. They should run the table in, in October. I certainly feel like they're going to run the table, at least they should, throughout the regular season. And so I think it's going to be business as usual for this team. And I think they realize, you know, what's at stake. And I think Harbaugh does as well. And so it, it, 
it's hard for me to think they're gonna slip up right like they're gonna go into some game in october and be like ah we got this team it's not a big deal especially getting into conference schedule right these are teams that have played you tough before or that uh may have beaten you before right with some of the guys that are on the roster and so you know you don't forget that part of it and and it's it's really dangerous when teams kind of get into their own head or even get too big of a head as, 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 as they say with, with the ego and already looking past and already saying like, Oh, we can't wait till Ohio state. I just don't see a Jim Harbaugh coach team having that kind of mentality, especially because Michigan's been close in the past. They just haven't really been able to get over the hump. You can preach to them like, Hey, it's these games here that turn you into a champion. Yeah, like you got to win the big ones at the end with the championship, the ones that give you trophies, if you will. But it's the ones here in the middle of the year that actually define the character that makes for the results that we're going to see at the end of the season. And with Harbaugh being as close as he has before to getting to that national championship game and potentially winning a national championship, um, I think he realizes that certainly with the group he has now, there could be a lot of turnover next year, and it might be much more of a rebuilding phase for Michigan. This feels like it might be towards not not that I feel like Michigan's going to go away or anything, but like the end of a national championship winning window that they've had over the last couple of years. This feels like the final act of that, especially if McCarthy leaves. So I think that they're going to stay focused, and I, I really don't see a slip up, man. I see even even getting into Big Ten play. I see a lot of the same. They should handle business. They should be scoring around 30 points a game, keeping their opponents anywhere from 10 to 15 points a game. And and that's going to be, be what I, what I expect from them in October. Well, PFF analysts have come onto this show for the last three years and have been very accurate at predictions, which is why, even though we're, we're mostly looking back, what did, what did this guy do? What is the, what does his grade mean? All of that kind of stuff. I remember Anthony Trish came on here in 2021 the week before the Wisconsin game, Michigan had just barely beaten Rutgers 20 to 14 or 20 to 13, whatever it was. And Anthony Trees is like, well, they're going to beat Wisconsin and they're going to probably go on. And the only question I have is, can they beat Ohio State? And everyone was like, what is he talking about? This guy knows nothing. And then he ended up being absolutely correct. So the high standard to come on here and uh, and proclaim, yeah, Michigan's a national championship caliber team. So we're going to keep we're going to keep, you know, kind of jabbing at that uh, throughout, uh, just kind of remind people of uh, of your guys's uh, ability to analyze the game. So thank you very much, Trevor. I appreciate you coming on and joining us as always. We'll look forward to having you back hopefully in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Zay, anytime. Absolutely. Trevor Sikama from PFF at Tampa Bay Trey on social media. Again, big thanks to him for joining. Uh, we have to at least talk a little bit about, uh, I know we, we've talked about Michigan State. We have to at least talk about the fact that uh, Mel Tucker officially fired. Uh, so we need to start preparing for the uh, the Newt Rockney, uh, Rocky Lombardi head coaching duo with Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh on as analysts. Uh, I know I'm just making stuff up at this point, but that's what I do. Uh, anyway, we will talk about that here in just one moment. But before we do that, 
listen, there have been so many times that I have tried to get concert tickets and it's just been a stressful situation, right? Like you, you're trying to find the right seats. You're trying to, to, to get the right price. So it, it doesn't even have to be concerts. I think about the times back in the old days when there weren't a bunch of apps out there, there was like one and it's like, man, I want to go to the Tigers playoff game in 2006. I want to go see the Pistons in their playoff run in 2004. And I find myself at the mercy of these awful scenarios. You don't have to worry about that anymore because game time is something that exists. It's amazing. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Uh, like I've said, there's so many great things about game time. I will keep on preaching. The seat view is incredible. That's exactly what you need. I will remind you every time about the time that I went in, on a date and saw wicked and we had a column like somewhat obstructing our view. And, uh, it was just absolute a bummer. It was the worst date I've ever been on. We were talking about uh, what expressways are our favorite on the way home, because that's just the level of how bad it was. Uh, so, uh, but you can get views from all seats in the house. So that's the great thing about it. But, Game time is obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. They have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, even an hour after it starts. I mean, I, if I would have known about game time last year when Sarah and I went and saw James Arthur, I mean, because we learned very quickly that uh, we were not equipped for the uh, for the general admission floor seats. And so we wanted balcony and we were kind of stuck. So that's where game time can alleviate some of these things. Find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. With zone deals, you pick the section and Game Time picks the seats for an average of an 18% savings. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem the code Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, I have no idea how long that we've been talking because when we do these other interviews, I can't really see the time. I just have to kind of guess. Usually, I'm pretty good. Sometimes we go way over, so I'm just going to assume I don't have a heck of a lot of time. That's fine. Uh, I will say that for, uh, I, I haven't put it out at the time of me saying this, but uh, get your questions in for the mailbag. I'm going to have to record that on Thursday since we are going to be, uh, I say we, it's the Royal We, going to be on uh, on the road to Nebraska. Yes, I am driving and don't know that I'm looking forward to that, but maybe it'll be a fun time. <laughs> I made that drive before. It wasn't like super fun, uh, but I was driving to California, so it was also kind of super fun. It also felt like we got there really fast. We left Ann Arbor at like 4.30, and I think we got into Omaha at like, it was like 1, 1 a.m., so I think it was pretty fast, especially because we stopped to eat. Um, anyway, uh, hoping to have that kind of time. There's a little puppy down here that's going to be very upset about uh, two road trips, but Michigan State finally fired Mel Tucker with cause. Uh it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. As I talked about on uh, the show from uh, Tuesday, uh, I don't think it's uh, they, they are so convinced because of the spending that they had with Mel Tucker that they are going to continue to try to go and uh, spend Lamborghini type money and hope that they don't get a Ford Pinto out of it. But I also just, I, I don't know that they will. And it, there, there's a, a, a colleague of mine who pointed this out 
to me yesterday at the press conference. We were talking about it. He's like, they might have that money kind of wrapped up for a while, right? Because Mel Tucker is going to come after it. He's fired for cause. They're going to be like, guess what? Whatever you made is what you made. Goodbye. Have a, have a good time. See you later. Drive safe. Uh, they are probably not going to necessarily be in that situation. So how much is Michigan State going to be somewhat hamstrung? As I said yesterday, and it's worth reiterating, because especially uh, because I know not everyone makes it to segment three of every episode. Uh, I'm sure most of you do, but for those who maybe uh, they they had enough of the the tomfoolery and decided that they were going to to tune in for Trevor Sycama today, and uh, but it's one of those things where I if I'm Mike Elko, I'm not taking the Michigan State job. It's not me just hating on Michigan State. I'm just being a realist about it. He he's he got Duke to beat Clemson. That's one of the the two, maybe three big bads in the ACC. The ACC expansion is not adding anyone of particular note in the same way that the SEC or the Big Ten is. So if I'm Mike Elko, I'm waiting for the right thing, right? It's, it's just it's just like the same way that like Brent Venables waited for the right thing. Certainly he was a name forever, and then he waited for Oklahoma. Tony Elliott, on the other hand. And I know we're talking coordinators, but Tony Elliott, on the other hand, he he decided to go uh, to Virginia. And that certainly is is a place where it's like, man, you better figure that out quick because you, you got three years. If you haven't figured out a way to make this look better, then sayonara. And I think Mike Elko is kind of in that same boat, right? If In the sense of like he's already got Duke there. If they already were able to beat Clemson, he's got a better inside track to college football playoff success and all of that stuff. Now, will Riley Leonard still be there next year? And how much does that hinge on him? I don't know. But at the same time, he's already shown he can do it there. And it's a different animal coming to the Big Ten where you've, if, if you're not accepting Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, USC, UCLA, whatever. Uh, maybe maybe not UCLA, but I mean, it, it's just it, it becomes a much more uphill battle. So I'm really interested to see where Michigan State goes from here. That They are convinced that they are going to go and get a top-tier guy. And I even see Michigan people saying it would be a bad idea for them to get Matt Campbell. Listen, Michigan fans were all about Matt Campbell two years ago. It's I understand it hasn't always gone well, and it hasn't looked as good in the last two years as it maybe did the two years prior, but it, the dude can coach. I'm not, And I don't want to really see Matt Campbell at, MSU to be honest, but it is one of those things where it's, that's probably the way to go. And I understand you want to make a splash. You want to make things feel good. Ohio state didn't make a splash going from John Cooper to Jim Trestle. And yet that's what Jim Trestle became. Or they could, they could see whoever's working at Cincinnati and try to bring them in. That's had long been the thing. And obviously they tried to do that last time with Luke fickle and he went to Wisconsin, but it is, it will be really interesting to see where MSU goes because they have to make the right hire. Otherwise, they are going to be even further back than they were in the John L. Smith era, and uh, you hate to see it. Anyway, that's going to do it for us today. Um, tomorrow, the, the plan is I have to actually reach out to Karan Higdon this week on like what I did <laughs> didn't do last week. The plan is to do a preview show with him and, and then do a mailbag. That is the plan. We will have a post-game show probably from the ground in Nebraska, but maybe not because it's supposed to be 95 degrees and that's not even counting field temperature. So I will probably be a disaster and probably 
will want to wait, but um, we'll have we'll have some kind of post game uh, either late Saturday or uh, potentially early Sunday. It all just kind of depends on how the game kind of flows and everything and the weather. So that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Peace.